Well, my name is Stephen, and I am the young adult pastor here, and it's great to see. Thank you. Appreciate that welcome. I want to especially welcome those of you, family, who are here for the baptisms. So we'll do that at the end of the night, which is exciting. Um, tonight, I want to talk with you about talking with God. We have started a series two weeks ago on prayer. We're entitling it Talking with God. And um, tonight, we're going to key in on just one verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Tonight I want to talk to you about the joy of prayer, the joy of prayer. Pastor Jim Critcher um, started this series, and he talked about, part of his message was about how prayer is not a duty. It's really a privilege that we get to approach God, and that there's a joy, what I want to key on, on tonight, is that there's a joy that comes with praying to God, with being in relationship with Him, with talking with Him and hearing His voice. And the question I want to ask or pose tonight, really two questions, is looking at this verse, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, it's talking about Jesus, and the question I want to ask is, what joy was set before Jesus that he was willing to endure one of the most gruesome deaths of his time in the cross? What joy, what, what motivated him, what was the joy that motivated him that allowed him to willingly choose that act. And then secondarily, is that joy that Jesus experienced, that allowed him to go through that experience of the cross, is that joy ex expectable or accepted, something that we can expect to experience in of ourselves when we go through times of agony, when we go through times of trial? Can we tap into that joy? So four things, Christ's agony, Christ's joy, our agony, and our joy that comes through the cross. So first, if you look at this verse, it says he endured the cross. What kind of endurance did Jesus experience? Well, when Jesus went to the cross, he experienced three kinds of pain. A physical pain, an emotional shame, but then also a uh, disdain from the Father. God the Father, in that moment on the cross, God's wrath was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. The cross is where love, the love of God, and the justice of God marry each other. So first, physical pain. The Roman cross was the epitome of pain. In fact, the word uh, that we have excruciating literally means out of the cross. Jesus was slapped. He was punched. He was, they placed a crown of thorns on his head. He was beaten with reeds. They took seven-inch nails and drove them in his wrists and in his feet. Most likely, the, that nail hit his median nerve, court, uh, sending pain coursing through his body. In his book, The Execution of Jesus the Christ, Dr. Mark Kubala talks about the physical agony that Jesus would have experienced on that cross. 
frequent vomiting that a human body experiences when it undergoes that kind of trauma. He would have suffered dislocation of his shoulders, cramps and spasms. His tongue being uh, so dry, it would be stuck to the roof of his mouth, making it difficult to talk. If you notice the last words of Jesus, all of them are short sentences. Because from all the dehydration and the severe blood loss, he'd have difficulty moving his tongue. Fluid would have filled his lungs and eventually led to a collapse of his lungs. And ultimately, this doctor concludes that the reason why Jesus died so quickly compared to many others who were crucified, oftentimes it would take days for someone who was crucified to die. In fact, there was one report of a man who it took 13 days for him to die after being crucified. But Jesus was dead in a couple hours. And the reason being was because the, he experienced so much trauma from the whipping, from the crown of thorns, from being on that cross, that he most likely died of a cardiac arrest, heart stoppage, as a complication of that traumatic shock. And yet, Scripture says that he endured the cross. There's a moment in Matthew chapter 27 that details Jesus' crucifixion that uh, it says that they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he wouldn't drink it. Well, that liquid was a, uh, something that they would use to numb the pain. And many scholars believe that Jesus didn't drink it because he embraced all of the physical pain that you and I deserved when he was on, the, on that cross. It wasn't just physical pain that Jesus experienced. He experienced the emotional shame of being betrayed and being rejected. His own disciple Judas betrays him. One of his closest disciples, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Peter, denies him three times. The crowd decides to give over Barabbas, a known murderer, an insurrectionist, over Jesus, who had done absolutely nothing wrong. The governor's soldiers dressed him up as a king. They put a scarlet robe around him. They put a crown of thorns around him. They put a staff in his hand resembling a scepter. They knelt in front of him. They put a placard above him saying, King of the Jews. And they played dice over his clothes. They made a mockery of him and dressed him up as some kind of fake or pseudo-king. The religious leaders that you'd expect to defend Jesus, who were the moral authority of that time, taunted Jesus on the cross. They said, come down if you're the son of God. Even the criminals that deserved to die that were hung next to him jeered insults on him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Physical pain, emotional shame, and then the father's disdain. Jesus, quoting a psalm, a very famous psalm, Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, God, the Father, poured out his wrath because God is a just judge, because he can't sweep sin underneath the carpet, because someone had to pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus endured that penalty on the cross, and in that moment, he felt as if God had even abandoned him. Why would Jesus willingly choose that kind of pain, that kind of shame, his father pouring out his wrath? What was the joy that was set before him? 
Christ's joy. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus gives one of the most famous prayers that we have in all scripture. It's called the high priestly prayer. He's with the other disciples and he's giving them kind of the final words that he would give. And he prays this prayer in John 17. And he says in verse 4, he says, I glorified you. He's, he's praying to God. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What Jesus is saying in this prayer is that at every point, Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father. And the result of that was God getting glory. Jesus taught everything he was supposed to teach. He healed every person he was supposed to heal. He saved every person he was supposed to save. He was compassionate towards every person that he was supposed to show compassion to. He perfectly obeyed God, and as a result, God was glorified. But here's the thing. If you look at Luke's gospel, there's a theme, this secret Messiah theme, where oftentimes when Jesus would do a miracle, he would tell those that he did the miracle for, don't tell anyone about this. Keep it a secret. What was happening was Jesus didn't want, he knew his hour had not yet come. And there was something about what he was doing that had to be somewhat veiled. The apex or the climax of God's glory wasn't yet to come. Now there were moments where God was glorified through Jesus. I mean, we can all think of some incredible miracles that Jesus did. There was a moment, Mount Transfiguration, where Jesus was transfigured or glorified in front of everyone. But ultimately, it was the cross that was the climax of God's glory. When Jesus perfectly obeyed God in that moment, the veil of God's glory that partially covered what Jesus was doing was lifted. And everyone saw in that moment, now looking back us, we see God's love and his justice meeting in the cross of Jesus Christ. We see God's glory unrestricted, unveiled. Our faith hinges on that death and that resurrection. Jesus facing, knowing that the next day he's going to go through this cross. He willingly chose that path. Why? Because he recognized that this was just another moment for him to obey God and for God to receive glory. The trials in our lives, the things that we go through, what motivates us to endure through those trials? What can empower us when we're going through heartache, when we're going through a child who we raised in the Lord, rebelling against us, rebelling against God? What can keep us when a marriage that we thought was from God falls apart? What can continue motivating us and inspiring us? What can give us joy when sickness, a debilitating sickness, grips us? When we know God is a healer, and yet he's not healing us. Is there a joy like Jesus that we can experience in the face of our agony? Now, no one would claim that their agony, that their grief, that their trials compare to Jesus. We recognize that. Nothing is going to compare to the fact that Jesus died on the cross. But how many of you know that still doesn't minimize what we experience? Life is full of trials. 
Life is full of disappointments. Life is full of sickness and pain. Life is full of division and heartache. And the author of Hebrews is writing to a people who are familiar with that heartache. He's writing to a people who have been imprisoned and persecuted, some of which had been abandoning their faith. And what he's doing in this chapter and in the chapter previously is to encourage them to look to, first in chapter 11, the saints who had conquered through their faith. And then in chapter 12, the verse that we look, looked at, he goes through all these examples in chapter 11 only to point to Jesus as the ultimate example of the one who's endured even in the midst of suffering. We experience our own agony. We experience our own pain. A mom who gives birth to a stillborn child. A couple who dreams of a marriage that falls apart. A sickness, loneliness, depression. Some of these things can be a result of our own sin, a result of our own choices that we make, our own rebellion against God. But a lot of things just happen because we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. One piece of advice, if someone gets sick, don't tell them. It's because they sinned. You laugh, but there are many people who have been told that if they just had a little bit more faith, that if they just loved God a little bit more, if they had made this choice or that choice, then they wouldn't be sick. But there are things in this world that happen to the believers and unbelievers because we live in a fallen world, because sin exists in this world. And yet, there's a joy that we can experience in the midst of our agony. The same joy that Jesus experienced heading into the most difficult moment any human has ever experienced, that joy that he had going into that moment, knowing that he had an opportunity to once again obey his Father and result in the most glory that God could receive from this perfect act of obedience, that same joy is, accept, is, uh, is something available to us. John chapter 17, verse 13 towards the middle of this prayer that Jesus prays. He says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What Jesus is saying is just as I'm experiencing this joy of being in relationship with you, of being one with you, God, my prayer is that they, Grace Covenant Church, my prayer is that those who will believe in me will also experience the same joy. This is what's unique about our faith. That when people stare death in the face, when they stare heartache and division and brokenness, we can look at them with confidence and tell them there's a joy available to you. And this is where prayer comes in. Because the joy Jesus experienced in the midst of physical pain, emotional shame, was made available for us when he went on the cross. But just because it's available doesn't mean we're walking in that joy. I can tell you, hey, you have a million dollars in your bank account and that be true. But until you actually access that money, you're not living in the benefits of having that million dollars. And many of us, Live knowing that there's a joy available to us in Jesus Christ. There's a joy for the circumstances that we're going through, and yet we haven't accessed it. And that's where prayer comes in. That's where this series is huge, because prayer is the means by which we pull down that joy that is 
rightfully been given to us, that's been made an example by Jesus Christ, that joy that's available to you comes through prayer. If you look at the beginning of this verse that we've been looking at, Hebrews 12, verse 2, it starts by saying, looking to Jesus. How do we look to Jesus? Through prayer. Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is a moment to look to Jesus and to say, I recognize I'm going through something challenging. I recognize I'm going through something difficult, but I'm choosing as I communicate with God to look to him, the one who's endured suffering and has come on the other, come on the other side of it. I want to give you three ways to pray that will help you access joy. Three ways to pray. They all start with R so you can remember them. You can tell everyone how great a sermon this was. You remember the three R's. The first one is rhythmic prayer. Rhythmic prayer. What do I mean by that? I love new things, innovative things, creative things. But there's some kind of comfort that comes through the normal, the routine. There's something that brings about security, knowing that God didn't wake up today and say, you know what, I know every day I have the sunrise, but today I think I'm just going to do something different today. Or God saying, uh, you know what, uh, I'm going to just kind of change this whole gravity thing and let people just kind of fly off into space today. There's something comforting about the orderliness, about the consistency, about the faithfulness of our God. And in the same manner, the church has historically had rhythms, not only in church, the way we do church, a season of Advent, a season of Easter, but also in personal devotions. In fact, there was a whole period of time, this monastic period of time, where there would be these regular rhythms of prayers. And I'm not advocating that we go back to live as monks and nuns, but I think we can learn something by prioritizing prayer, by having normal rhythms in our lives of prayer whether it's waking up in the morning and spending time with God in prayer or gathering our family around a breakfast meal and taking a few minutes to pray or before we go to bed with our spouse, five minutes, 10 minutes, debriefing and praying for our day. These rhythms allow us a touch point, allow us a moment to say, I recognize my life is going, there's craziness happening, there is busy, but I'm gonna take a moment to look to Jesus. I'm gonna build in a rhythm of prayer in my life. We have rhythms here at this church of Friday night prayer. 6 a.m. every morning, we have a prayer call that Pastor Sean Clemens would love for you to be on. We have prayer calls. We have prayer rhythms, pre-service prayer. The reason being is we need to be continually reminded to look to Jesus. Secondly, real, raw prayers. Real, raw prayers. Many of us, we have kind of our trite religious prayer expressions. Lord, I pray a hedge of protection. Never mind what that means. I don't know. God, I pray for traveling mercies. We have these specific ways of praying. Lord, bless this food in the hands that prepared it. But then you experience trauma. You experience death. You experience pain. And all of a sudden, the religious trite language that you have falls woefully short. And most of the time in that moment, you have one of two choices. 
to abandon prayer altogether or to find a new prayer language. And thankfully for us, the Bible is full of a category of prayers called laments. Language that we can use in the lowest points of our lives. In fact, one-third of the Psalms are laments. Prayers like this from David. Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble, God? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? That doesn't sound very religious. Psalm 13, 1. How long will you hide your face from me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are these prayers that David prays that give language to the deep emotional hurt that often comes with being a human being. That in the moment of weakness, in the moment of pain, we don't have to withdraw from God. We can actually be real and raw with him. And what happens as we lament, see, it seems like, well, why is David complaining? But there's a deep, profound faith in the fact that even at his lowest point, he's still addressing God. He's still crying out to God. You know, sometimes you don't have the perfect words, but the fact that you're still willing to go to God means that there's something inside of you. There's a resiliency. There's a faith that God honors. There's an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann who's got to be smart because he has a very complicated last name. He talks about the phases that happen when we go through pain. We have an orientation phase where life is good. Everything's in order. Family is healthy. And then what happens is we go through a disorientation phase. Every one of us experiences it. Someone dies. There's a divorce in our family. Maybe there's some kind of sickness. And our world is turned upside down. And what happens in that disorientation phase is our tendency is to want to go back to the orientation phase. We want God to bring it back to what it was before. But we will never go back to that phase. But there's a beautiful thing. In lamenting and crying out to God, there's a reorientation. Things will never go back. But there's something on the other side of that pain. There's something on the other side of that trauma. There's something on the other side of that depression. There's something on the other side of the anxiety where we get to experience God in a fuller, more meaningful way. That our image of who God is becomes more robust and becomes more true to who he is. We experience reorientation. And where, how we get there is through real, raw prayers. I'll never forget when I was at Virginia Tech, my freshman year, I went to my first campus ministry moment. Uh, we had a campus ministry there. It was the first week was always very celebratory. It was always very festive. You know, we're freshmen, we're coming into this campus. And that week, unbeknownst to me, uh, two people in the campus ministry had tragically died in a hiking accident. And I'll never forget being at this campus ministry meeting, expecting to walk in joy and exuberance, and it was the first time that the crying and the wailing was louder than the actual worship music. And I watched as a wide-eyed freshman as this community grieved together. It wasn't anything what I expected, but there was a profound beauty in a communal lament where those people didn't understand what was happening. They didn't have any answers 
How do you explain two people who were in love, who were boyfriend and girlfriend, freshman in college, going on a hiking accident and dying? How do you explain that? You can't. But as I sat there and worshiped with these other saints and we lamented together, there was something solidifying. There was something comforting. There was a strengthening happening. And that's what lamenting brings. And then lastly, this is a, okay, I'll just say it, retreative prayer. No, we don't use the word retreative, but I did look it up. It is a real word in the English language. (laughs) But we're familiar with the concept of retreating, of getting away. And this is something that Jesus did regularly. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 through 16 says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to him and to be healed of their infirmities. Revival's broken out. Jesus is healing people. The disciples, are, I'm imagining, are going to him, oh, Master, we need to go to two services a day. We gotta go to morning and evening. We got people getting healed. We gotta line out the door. I don't know if you have any holy water, but this is the moment to sell it, right? We got a gathering of people. This is amazing. Next verse but he would, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. At the height, I mean, not at the height, but at a moment where his ministry was exploding, where people were flocking to him, where most people would be adding and adding. And there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a place for that, to minister to those who are coming. And yet Jesus said, no, no, no. I have, a, I have, a more, I have more of a priority to be with God. I need to retreat and be with him. That's my number one priority. We'll get to the extra service. We'll get to the ministry. We'll get to healing. But I got to make this my first priority. You know, as much as we prioritize relationships, the busyness of this area, we have to have moments where we retreat. That's why we go on family reunions. It's why we go on vacations. We recognize that there's just too many constraints. There's traffic and there's people's schedules and we have a meeting this. We got to cut lunch short and we're just trying to get the family together to eat a meal. So we need some extended period of time. Same with God. We need moments where we retreat with him. You know, Monday um, is, is our, my, my day off and a family day for us. And uh, it's kind of in the middle of a pretty busy season. For me personally, you know, we just had our young adult winter retreat on Saturday, 8 a.m. to like midnight. It was a blast. It was a long day. Next day, was, uh, Sunday service, small group, open house. You know, we're there all day. I'm looking at, you know, Tuesday, we had stuff going on with the prayer journey. Wednesday is here with you all. And I love every moment of it. This is what I'm called to do. I get joy getting to do this. But I sat there Monday night, had the kids in bed. Uh, my beautiful wife's working on something. I got an hour all to myself. And you guys know there's a serious fear that comes on a person when they have a precious hour to themselves of all these options. What could I do? Oh, my goodness. And all the options are rolling through my head. Well, I could do the responsible thing and do laundry, but no, that's not fun. Um, I could read a book that I've been looking forward to, reading this book. Or, man, I could just, just watch YouTube videos and just hang out and veg out and just relax. The kids are in bed. And I heard the Lord speak to me. Come hang out with me. Uh, I got so much laundry to do. I just had a really long ministry weekend. Like, could we, like, reschedule this? Like, maybe on the flip side? Hey, come, come hang out with me. We haven't had a, had a chance to hang out, just the two of us. Oh, okay. 
you know, I put on YouTube like a worship song. I'm like, oh, it's a song we always sing. Like, couldn't it be a better song, you know? And the Holy Spirit met me. And he started to fill me. He started teaching me more about who he is. It wasn't long. It was 30 minutes. It was an hour. But just retreating with God filled my soul. And there was a joy in the midst of a, of a busy time. You know, we need to have moments to retreat to be with God. Maybe it's a couple hours you tell your spouse, hey, I got to just spend some time with Jesus. Maybe it's a couple minutes in between kids screaming and crying. But moments to be alone with God and to pray. How do we access that joy? We access it through rhythmic prayer, through real raw prayer, and through retreative prayer, moments away with God. And when we pray, there's a joy that we can access where we can look at the hardest moments of our life and not only endure them, but thrive in them. We can experience God's presence in the midst of our pain. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the example of love and that your son, Jesus Christ, is the example of endurance. And Lord, we don't want to pray just out of a sense of duty, responsibility. Lord, we want to tap into the joy that Jesus experienced heading into that moment of the cross. Lord, in this room, there are people going through very hard moments, sickness, pain, relational difficulty, jobs that don't make sense, unemployment, confusion, doubt, anxiety. Lord, I'm praying that you'd give us the grace to access the joy that's available through your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.